Welcome to the York Story Slam podcast, where we feature select stories from our monthly open mic storytelling events in York, Pennsylvania. On March 16th, seven storytellers shared their stories with our audience for our virtual slam. The theme for our March Story Slam was TMI. We heard stories of teachers giving too much information, a childbirth story, and miscellaneous stories of sex, drugs, and nuclear power plants. In the end, our winner was Sean Steele with his story about being an Uber driver and getting truly much too much information from two of his passengers. Here's Sean. Hey, how you doing? My name is Sean. Uh, Sean Steele, uh, I got a story to tell you, main stories to tell. I drive for Uber. Of course, everybody here hears about those Uber stories, right? Well, check this out. How about this here? Imagine your first pickup in the morning, you pick up a stoner trying to eat a Pop-Tart. That's, that's just one thing. How about you go to the Harrisburg Airport and you pick up two naughty grandmas that went on a singles cruise to pick up young guys. Then you get a late night party girl who tries to hang her thong on your rear view mirror. Then how about when you have those bar crawls around here in York or Harrisburg, wherever they have them, bar crawl and you have a girl actually crawling to your Uber. Okay, now we're gonna start the story. Uh, we all know those uh, tasteful treasure parties. If you don't know, it's those uh, adult parties, you know, you know, where everybody get together and they buy, you know, things to take home. We know how that goes. Well, check this out. One time while Uber, you know, seemed like a regular day, I uh, came up on, uh, on a couple to pick up for Uber and they had a bunch of packages on the ground. So I'm like, okay, cool. So I pull up, me being a good guy I am, you know, I pop the trunk and I'm helping them put their packages in. But then there was one package that the woman didn't put in the trunk. It was a big giant bag. Remember the bag. So everything's cool. We're riding along, you know, doing our pleasantry. Hey, how you doing? How long you been Ubering? You know, that kind of bullshit. We're just doing that there. You know me, I'm, I'm a bullshitter anyway, but you know, this is where it, it, it gets hype. So riding along and then you hear, you know, the people in the back whispering. That's one thing I don't like when people sitting in my back seat. I don't like whispering. That shit creeps me out. I don't like that. So they kept whispering, kept giggling. So then I kept hearing the husband saying to the wife, you know, baby, no, no, he doesn't need to know that. You know, that that's that's between us. So they kept whispering. She's no, 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 no. He doesn't need to know that. Her exact words, she says, fuck it. We're all adults here. So I'm like, you know, looking in the mirror, you know, Justin looking in the mirror. So she goes and leans forward. Hey, Uber dude, I got something to tell you. So, you know, I'm, yeah, okay. So she goes, uh, me and my husband, we get freaky. You know, people that know me, you know, I, my, my face is already getting set for stun. So I'm like, oh, no, I don't know where this is going to go. I have no idea, but I'm going to stay focused. So then they start whispering again. So then she goes right after that. You know what? My husband and I, we like to take showers together. So, you know. Who doesn't, you know, couples, you know, do whatever, you know, what you do behind closed doors, that's your business. So then she goes, you know, but this time it's a little different. I went to my husband was all lathered up and I wait till he put soap on his face. And then he let me know that 
I can slip in. So as she slips in behind him, she says, I start grinding on him. I'm driving. That's about, about the look. I'm, yeah, eyes about ready to pop out of my head. I'm like, oh, shit, here we go. It's going to drop off. So then she goes, then I decide to bring in a little shower treat for my man. So that I'm going, oh, God, here it comes. She goes, as I'm grinding on him, I peg him. She pegged him. She brought in a little pocket vibrator and she pegged him. She said he looked like a greased cat trying to get out. And the more he's moving, she's moving in on him. So she fully pegged him. So my face, this is about it. And I'm looking straight ahead. I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm hearing this. And so while my mind is trying to wrap around and process what's going on, she says, you're probably wondering what's in this bag, right? So I, I didn't say anything. My face is still locked, stunned. And, and, you know, she then reaches down in the back. I can hear the crunkling and crunkling in the back. And then she pulls out a big, giant, red, 18-inch vibrator. While I'm driving, she's in the back seat and she turns it on. Then she puts it in my face while I'm driving. So I got a big giant red dildo in my face while I'm driving, vibrating. And so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to drive and not touch the vibrator. So I'm using my elbow. Telling, Man, you got to sit back. You, you got to put that weapon away. Do what you got to do. Put your lightsaber away. Put it back in the bag. We, we can't have that. This isn't taxi cab's confession. We don't do that shit up in SNL. We don't do that. So, I mean, I'm telling you, there's more stories I could tell. But believe it or not, I'm just scratching the surface. I might have to come back for another time. My name is Sean Steele, and that's my story. Sean earned a spot in our Grand Slam in November. Next up, we have David Smith, who shared about a scary moment in his teens and how it stuck with him over time. I was a holy terror to my teachers. My, uh, I have a second grade report card with a note from my teacher that said, David annoys other children. He needs to be more concerned with his own problems. And I'm pretty sure that was the year I peaked in school. Um, in junior high, we had a vice principal uh, who was in charge of discipline. So he got to know me pretty well. He was a Marine or something, and he, he primarily focused on projecting fear. Uh, he was in charge of cap corporal punishment. Yeah, corporal, I got that right. Um, he had a collection of paddles on his wall, different shapes and sizes. And uh, like one had holes cut in it so he could swing it faster. Um, but his favorite paddle was a black leather paddle with shiny steel spikes. Uh, and while he was yelling at you for talking or stepping out of line in a hallway or whatever, he would reach down into his desk and pull out the paddle and just flip it in his hands while he yelled at you. Um, then he'd tell you to go over and bend over a desk uh, facing away from him. So the whole time you're thinking... He's going to paddle you with the black leather paddle, but he'd swap it out for the regular one. He was a, uh, 
master of psychological warfare on 11-year-olds. Um, some grades, I think I spent more of my time in the office than I did in class. Uh, that's not true, but it, it felt that way. I was very friendly with the ladies in the office, and I would sit there and be very quiet and listen to who was coming back from lunch smelling like beer and the speculation on which teachers were fooling around. It was a lot more interesting than class in that way. Uh, and that's why I was on the I was in the office on the morning of March 28, 1979. Um, I was thrown out of class early that day. And that day started with phones lighting up and a flurry of phone calls and lots of parents calling to get their kids out of school. And then one of the office ladies took a call from an out-of-town relative, and then there was a lot of whispering, and then the ladies started making personal phone calls to find out if what they had heard was true. Uh, years later, a guy I worked with in radio um, told me he just happened to have the phone number of the control room at Three Mile Island. And he called the guy and said, uh, hey, what's going on? And he, the guy said, can't talk, big problem, and hung up. Um, but to prevent panic, uh, we were in a news blackout, basically. Uh, the word was leaking out, um, but people were starting to panic. I remember there was a woman came into the, the school office yelling, I want my son. I want my son right now. Where is my son? And one of the office ladies was like, okay, who is your son, ma'am? She responded, don't give me that. You, you can't keep my son. You can't keep my son from me. I want my son here right now. And it took about two minutes of trying to get this woman to calm down and tell them her son's name so they could call him to the office. And you know what's really scary to a kid? Seeing an adult completely lose their shit. I mean, it's it's 42 years later, and I could still see this, this woman in my mind. I mean, she looked like she'd normally be at the country club for the Lions Club Ladies Auxiliary Luncheon that day, you know? I mean, I mean, it looked like she was born with a, a swept-up bob wearing pearls and something tasteful from Chanel. And to see her completely out of control someone who left rational thought behind and was screaming at this high school office lady was terrifying. It was like an invasion of the body snatchers moment. And then other parents started rolling in and trying to get their kids out of school so they could make a run for it. And they say that civilization is a thin veneer over the brutish nature of mankind. I looked that quote up, and a lot of different people claim it, so I will too. But, but that's basically what I saw that day. In the face of being annihilated by a nuclear meltdown, Karen from the PTA was seconds away from picking up a weapon and killing an office worker who was keeping her kid from leaving high school. And that was just my, the beginning of my relationship with Three Mile Island. Um, one of my first jobs in radio was to go to the hearings that they held on the accident and record them for a local radio station. And I'd go to the things and I'd actually listen and become more frightened. Uh, people would introduce evidence about things like fake x-rays of welds. Do you know why they x-ray the welds? Because 
They have to be perfect. And do you know why they have to be perfect? Because once they go into the plant, you can't go in and fix them. So they x-ray them. But the construction crews are incentivized to work very, very fast because it's expensive to build these things. And the faster they get it online, the faster they start making money back. So sometimes when you get a bad weld, you just take a picture of a different weld and change the numbers. The guys who built these things aren't from the area. They're not staying, so they don't care. And at these hearings, people would produce weld x-rays that were identical and perfect. And that's just not possible because they were faked. But because faulty welds were not a direct cause of the accident, they weren't admitted into evidence, even though the owners were petitioning to allow the plant to go back online with those faulty welds. Years later, I was working on a documentary at a nuclear power plant, and that's when I found out what they do with the nuclear waste. Waste that's going to be deadly for 20,000 years. Uh, there was one solution at one time. It was to transport all of the waste all the way across the country, since most of the plants are in the east, and bury it in a mountain in New Mexico. Now, they can't do that for a number of reasons now, depending on who you talk to. Um, they shut down the mountain. So now, they just let it all pile up in temporary storage around the plant. Doesn't that sound like a great idea? It's now 42 years later, and the plant is closed, and people are saying, well, what's the big deal? Nothing happened. Well, I know four people, including myself, who have had leukemia. And I know people who were also within the five-mile ring that day who've had other cancers. And I know that that's anecdotal. That's not proof of anything. So I asked people who are in medical research, and they just laughed at me. You can't prove that something that happened 40 years ago has a cause and effect relationship with anything. And who's going to pay for a 40-year study? And with mobile populations, how do you show a cluster effect? So there's no way to prove that anything affected anything. It only takes two damaged chromosomes to cause leukemia. But since it didn't happen to everyone, you can't prove anything. So when people ask me why I'm so opposed to nuclear power, particularly now that it's being offered as a solution to climate change, I have to admit that it's personal. It tried to kill my family. It tried to kill me. I'm old enough to remember when they used to say, nuclear power never killed anyone. And then Chernobyl happened, and they started saying, nuclear power never killed anyone in America. But look, if we're not very, very, very careful, it can kill us all. What was the last thing you remember us being very, very, very careful about? I mean, this is a country that just half the people just lost their shit about having to wear masks. 
And in the end, it always reminds me of one of those colorful phrases I picked up over the years. Um, it's a lot like taking a dump in your closet in the middle of a cold, dark night. It might seem like a good idea at the time, but eventually, it's going to stink. Our final story on this month's podcast comes from Ginger Bova. Ginger remembers the details of giving birth to one of her kids. So it was 30, 23 years ago, actually this very night, that I came back from the hospital without having had my baby. I'd been in the hospital. They made me lie down on my back, even though I was having back labor. They put a tape on me to check every contraction and made me lie there for an hour in pain. And I'd been waiting for my midwife to show up. She didn't even show up. She talked to the people, the attendants there and said, well, let's wait another hour. And I said, no, I am not waiting another hour. I'm going home. And when I come back, I'm going to be ready to have this baby. So I went home. I had a relatively good night's sleep, got up in the morning, did laundry, folded clothes. My in-laws came to take care of the other kids and I was putting away socks when I heard my mother-in-law say, Tony, you get that girl to the hospital right now because I was already doing my little dance because after four other kids, I knew how to have a baby. You have to get down. You have to get those hips wide and loosen everything up. So I was ready to go. We got in the car. We drove to the hospital. That wasn't terribly comfortable, but we parked in the parking garage. And I, did, I got out and did my little dance against the side of the car. And then I walked across the parking garage, down the ramp, did my little dance. Tony rubbed my back. Okay, feels good. Feels good. Got down to the first floor. and I have to go to the bathroom. So I go in the bathroom. I do my little dance. I come back out and Tony says, I was afraid you're gonna have the baby in there. No, it's fine. We get in the elevator, I do my little dance. I'm very calm, maybe a little too calm because when we get to the maternity floor, I, they say, here, fill out these papers. I oh, gosh, I'm fill out the papers. Do my little dance, go back to filling out the papers. And they say, well, we have to wait to see if you're ready to have the baby. And I said, I'm ready to have the baby, call the midwife, and I need that shot that she told me to, to have, the, the group B strep shot. I need it right now before I have the baby. So I let them put me in this room, even though I think I'm ready to go. I'm doing my little dance, I'm holding onto the bed, and the bed is covered with like Dorito crumbs or something disgusting and i i do my little dance it's getting to, it's getting close to time they still haven't come with this group b strep shot and finally i say i am ready we are going into transition and they're like oh my gosh and they come running in and they're getting me dressed and they're moving me to another room they grab a big syringe and they're trying to get it into my arm while my arms moving all around and they finally get the shot in and they take me to the room and I, I am ready to have this baby. I've already had two babies in the hospital, one with the doctor and one with the midwife. I've had an at-home birth and I've had a water birth. But this time, okay, now I'm really gonna have the baby the right way because I found out that the best way for back labor is to have your baby on your hands and knees. So I'm up on my hands and knees on the bed 
ready to have the baby. And the attending OBGYN comes in, they have no idea what to do. They're like, what are you doing? I said, this is the right way to have a baby. I'm going to have the baby on my hands and knees. They're like, no, just roll over. I can't even check you. I was like, no, got to have the baby on my hands and knees. And I say, just roll over. You're so ready. You can just have the baby if you roll over. Oh my God. So I roll over. I have the baby. And up until then, we didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. When we left home, the kids were all saying, Patrick, Patrick. The baby came out and it wasn't a boy. It was a girl. So we named her Teresa. And when the kids found out it was Teresa, they said, Teresa, Teresa. But as far as the name of the doctor goes, I don't know. I think that's just too much information. All the winners from this year's Open Mic Story Slam events will return to compete for the title of Best Storyteller in York. Updates on our events are available on our website, yorkstoryslam.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can also follow us on Twitter, as well as on Facebook, and watch videos of all the stories from our events on our YouTube channel. A big thank you to our 2021 sponsor, KBG Injury Law, whose generous support is making this season possible. We hope to see you virtually or on stage soon. Thanks for listening. This Story Slam podcast is produced by Carla Wilson of Wilson Media Services. Theme music composed and performed by David Wilson. You can learn more at wilsonmediaservices.com.